Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. I've been doing upholstery work for about 10 years. And the funny thing is, I learned how to do it in federal prison while I was serving a 13-year sentence. And uh, when I was about 19, I took a job installing carpet with some older guys. Them guys were always getting high. We'd go to work. They were smoking on the way to work, drinking after work, constantly just getting as messed up as they could. And I wanted to fit in with them. August of 2005, I was considered at that time the largest meth dealer in Chattanooga. And uh, the federal government indicted me, and they put me into Bradley County Jail. It was November 10th, 2005. It was the day before my 26th birthday. I'll never forget it. And this little old guy came in. I wouldn't know him today if I saw him, but I'll never forget what he told me that night. He walked in, and he said, Luke, he said, how do you catch a chicken? He said, Luke, you backed him into a corner. He said, I'm convinced that God sent me here tonight to tell you that that's what he's done with you. I left that meeting that night and I went back to my cell and I just cried out to God. So I said, God, I believe you're real. And I want to start living for you from this day forward. One of my first sellings was a guy named Errol Morrison. He taught me how to be a Christian man in the midst of a circumstance like a nasty high security federal prison. My time with Errol really taught me a lot about the kind of influence that I wanted to be. Uh, I was doing a job at Zaxby's in Saudi Daisy one morning and uh, my messenger alert started going off my phone and I picked it up and a friend of mine named Dustin Griffith messaged me and he said, Luke, I just wanted you to know that uh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He said, I trusted him. I've accepted him. I was baptized. And I just want you to know how much I love God. And, and he continued to tell me that he remembered the things that I had said in jail. I asked Dustin if he had picked a church to attend now that he was home. And he said he had visited a couple places, but he hadn't decided on anything, so I invited him to come to Creekside. And uh, he did that next week. When he left church, he said that he had never felt more loved at any of the churches that he had been to. And he promised me to be back. And he was super excited. He called me all week that week. His daughter was coming, his dad was coming, his grandma was coming back with him. He was excited because he had his whole family come to church with him. I got a call from a friend and he said, Luke, did you hear about what happened to Dustin? He said, man, they were out at the blue hole swimming and Dustin had an accident and he passed away. Here was a kid that I never thought would change. Dustin was wide open, but God had radically changed his heart. And I got to see how my influence had positively affected someone rather than negatively. And that's when I realized the true power of influence.
That's a powerful testimony, and that is exactly what we're going to be talking about today and the next several weeks. It's the power of influence. So at this time, I would like to invite you to get out your Bibles or your Bible app, and I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Philemon. Um, It's one of the shortest books in the Bible. It only has 25 verses, and um, we're going to look at all 25 verses tonight. Um, I will say on the front end, the last time I taught Philemon, it took me three days, but, 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 (laughs) don't worry, we're going to get out here tonight, all right, or today. Um, Anyway, um, it's a tremendous book, but that's what we're looking at. We have this new series that we're looking at called Influencers, and um, you may be thinking and wondering, well, what exactly is an influencer, and why are we taking time, setting it aside, to look at it. And that's a good question. Um, Let's begin this way. An influencer is simply an individual who has the power to affect the way another person thinks or acts. And that is, I guess, the big thing today. Some of you might know this is what would be called um, a social media influencer. Social media influencers are are, are individuals who are on social media and maybe they have a large following on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And so some company will pay them to wear certain things or put certain product placement in their post. And that's a social media influencer. But but nonetheless, there's all sorts of influencers. Um, You might be tend to think that most influencers would be people who maybe have a large platform and maybe a a sports star or an actor or a musician, and that's kind of how we think. But um, the reality is, and we're going to see over today and over the next coming weeks, is that we are all influencers. Every one of us is an influencer because the way you act and the things that you do have influence on other people. Now, the deal is, sometimes we don't think through it. Sometimes we don't go through our day in such a way as to remember and to think that we're influencing others, but we are. And like Luke said in in his testimony, that our influences can be both positive and negative. They can. Um, I was thinking about some of the negative influences I've had on people. I remember, this is a true story, I was, um, I don't know, man, I was about 10 years old, and my buddy, he had a BB gun, and I um, challenged him, I influenced him to use the BB gun to shoot out a barn window, all right? And he did it, and that's bad. That's a bad influence. And then not long after that, that same friend of mine influenced me by inviting me to vacation Bible school. That's a good influence, right? But the deal is that we, if you're a Christian, if God has saved you, you need to know that God has commanded us to be influencers. It's not an option, We are to be influencing the world around us. We are not to be allowing the world to influence us. And so that's what we're going to be looking over the next several weeks, the power of influence. Because I want us, I desire for us to be a people that when we're at work or we're at school or we're buying groceries or we're drinking coffee, we're raising our kids, no matter what we're doing, we're doing it in such a way that we're thinking about those around us and we are influencing them. And so we're going to study the book of Philemon because we're going to see in the book of Philemon, the apostle Paul influences two men. And because they receive what he says, his influences... It changes, really, I think, their courses of their life and really 
And even our course today, I think it had some historical consequences. So we're going to go through all the book, and we're going to see it. And we're going to see some, really we're going to see um, three ways that Paul influences these men. And I believe we should be also influencing in these three ways. So let's jump into the book, and let's just start pushing through it. Let me begin this way. What I want to do is in this book, there's three main characters. And let me just go over who these three main characters are, Okay first character in the book. It is a man named Philemon. That is where we get the title of the book, Philemon, okay? Philemon is a wealthy man. Philemon lives in the city of Colossae, and Philemon owned slaves. Now, back in the day in the Roman Empire, it is estimated about a quarter of the population were slaves. Apparently, when the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus, he's doing his three-year ministry there. We don't know why, but Philemon went to Ephesus or somehow came in contact with Paul. He hears the gospel. God saves him. And then he returns to Colossae. He opens up his house to the local church, and he's just growing in the Lord. But one big problem that we're made aware of, Philemon keeps his slaves that's a problem. That's sin. It's got to be addressed. But that's Philemon. We got a second guy in this story. His name is Onesimus. Onesimus is one of Philemon's slaves. Here's what happens. Onesimus, it appears that he steals from Philemon and he runs away. Okay, he steals from Philemon, he runs away, he runs to the city of Rome, the largest city. Now, in God's providence, and here's where you see the hand of God guiding everything. In his providence, Onesimus runs into Paul. You see, Paul's in prison in Rome at this time. So Onesimus runs into Paul. Once again, what does Paul do? We know what Paul does. Paul tells people about Jesus and that's, I praise us as well. Well, you meet Paul, you're going to hear the gospel. Onesimus meets Paul, he hears the gospel, and God saves Onesimus. It's a tremendous story. Then we got a third individual in this story. It's the Apostle Paul. He's the third person in this story. The Apostle Paul is the one who wrote this letter. He writes this letter to Philemon, all right? Because you got Onesimus, Onesimus is saved. But it, it's still kind of messed up, the whole thing. So, so, so you got Onesimus is saved, you got Philemon is saved. It's tremendous. We celebrate that. But at the end of the day, both of those men still have things they need to deal with, right? You I mean, you look at Onesimus. Onesimus is sitting there. Onesimus is a runaway slave who has stolen from Philemon, okay? He is saved by grace through faith, and that's a gift of God. Absolutely. He's forgiven, but he's still got to work out the sin in his life. He's the sin, some of the consequences of the sin in his life. He's got to work on this. Philemon, Philemon, you got, you, you talk about Philemon, you're like, Philemon, you got to be kidding me, man. You ever run into a Christian, you're like, dude, you're killing me, man, with the way you're acting. That's Philemon. You're like, what, how can you claim to be a Christian and still be sinning in such a way that you keep your slaves. What is going on, man? And so these two men, we celebrate their salvation, but they have got some things to work out. And the apostle Paul is going to help them. What he does is he writes this letter. This, this letter that we're going to study today. He writes this letter to encourage Philemon. Really, it's going to encourage Onesimus as well, but, um, and to influence them. And he's going to give the letter. I mean, imagine this. He gives this letter to Onesimus, the runaway slave, 
And he goes, what I want you to do is I want you to go back to Colossae. I want you to go up to Philemon's house, the man you stole from. I want you to knock on the door. When he comes to the door, I want you to hand him this letter. And that is exactly what he does. That's exactly what he does. And along the way, as we read this, we're going to see how Paul influences Philemon. And let me influence both of these men really in three ways. Three ways. And I would say, and I would encourage each of us, that as we're going out our lives, we too should be influencing those around us in these same ways. All right? So we got the three men. You understand the problem. Let's see what the Apostle Paul does. All right? The first way that we're going to see that the Apostle Paul influences is this. Paul influences by encouraging. He influences by encouraging. Now, it's really simple to influence by encouraging. It's one of the simplest ways you can influencing someone, but it's, it's powerful. Encouraging is powerful. And we're about to read the letter, get into the letter, but you're, you're going to see Paul doesn't begin by just hammering Philemon. Right? He, Philemon's in sin, to be sure. He is, he's sinning, man. He is. He, he's, he's sinning. But he doesn't lean by just, lead by just beating him up. And he could. He could be yelling at him. By the way, I see a lot of Christians, we do that. We see another brother or sister in sin, and we just want to go in there and just start, you know, just yelling or whatever. But, but that's not Paul. Paul is going to lead by encouragement. All right? So let's begin. Verse 1. This is the letter. Philemon, Onesimus has just handed the letter to Philemon. Now he's going to read it. Here's what it says. Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Notice Paul addresses Philemon in two ways. Two ways he addresses him. First, he addresses him as a brother. As a brother. Look what he says. He uses the word, it's interesting, it's an interesting word, beloved. Philemon, you're, you're beloved, right? It's important for Christians to understand that other Christians are your brother and your sister. They're not your enemy. I want to repeat that. They are not your enemy, right? They're not your enemy. They are beloved. Is Philemon walking in sin? Absolutely. Is he beloved? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But not only does he address him as a brother, we're going to see he also addresses him as a partner. Because look what he says. He calls him, it's, it's interesting, he calls him a fellow worker, right? Not only are they brothers in faith, but they also have the same goal. They're on the same team. They both want to see Christ glorified in all things, right? They want to see the supremacy of Jesus in all things and among all people. They have the same end goal. They do. And I would say this with you. If you're a Christian and you've got conflict with another Christian or there's some sin going on with another Christian, you too may need to remind yourself you're on the same team. You're saved by the same God. God the Spirit indwells both of you. All right? You've got the same goal. You be careful the way you speak to one another. This, let me say this. this. This goes on at my... This same strategy to a degree goes on at my house. 
It does. I got a, I got a boy and I got a girl. Um, they're, they're eight and, and 11. And um, so, so, so I know that they argue sometimes. So they'll, they'll argue, right? And so what, what will happen is I'll go up to them and I'll say, hey, guys, your brother and sister, right? Your brother and sister, you, you, you need not argue with each other. You, you need not talk to each other like that. In addition, I say this. This is what I say. I say, you're on the same team. You're on Team Jones, right? We're, we're Team Jones. Team Jones can't be fighting. We got the same goal, right? And, and I remind them. And I would say the same for us. It's a body of believers. We're brothers and sisters. We've been saved by grace through faith. And we got the same goal. And that's what he, be, he begins that way. Verse 2, he's continuing. He's going to greet some more people. He says, And Aphia, our sister, that's most likely Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, once again, that's probably the pastor of the church, and the church in your house. So he's including the whole family of believers. Verse 3, here's what he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's going to influence him by encouraging him. Look at this, verse 4. Here's what he says. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Man, is that that not encouraging? That's encouraging. Paul is encouraging Philemon. Paul says, I am thankful for you. Paul is saying, I pray for you. I get comfort from you. Philemon, you need to know this. You refresh me. It's an amazing encouragement. Do you think, here's my question, do you think that that encouragement influenced Philemon? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is he still in sin? Yes, he is. He's got some things he's got to work on. By the way, there's some things I got to work on too. And you do too. And we all do. But I'm telling you, one of the best ways to come in contact with another brother or sister is, is kindness. And look, he, remind, look, he reminds him. This is really good about encouraging. So, so Philemon's doing all these things, but he reminds him of his godly characteristics. He's like, like, you may be sinning, but look, 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 look. You have love, Philemon. I've seen that in you. Philemon, um, um, you refresh the hearts of the saints, and I've seen that. Hey, Philemon. You refresh me. So these are all true statements. I don't know. Church, you know this. We live in a culture that loves to belittle one another. We love to make fun of one another. We love to be harsh with one another. It's as though our culture is trying to program us so that we would be harsh to one another. I would say, let that not be us. Let that not be found in the house of God. We should influence one another by encouraging them. So I ask you, do you, do you encourage people? Do you influence people by encouraging them? Where you work at, um, um, where you go to school at, where you do life at, do you encourage people? That's the first way we see the Apostle Paul influencing is by encouraging. 
But now we're going to get to the second type of influence. And this is a little bit more difficult. So, so it's, 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 it's easier to influence someone by encouraging them because you're saying nice, true things about them. But sometimes you need to um, influence a little bit more, and we're going to see that in verse 8. We're going to see Paul influences by example. By example. Well, I was trying to think of it. What do they say? Um, you can never lead somewhere where you're not willing to go. And it's true. It's true. And so now Paul is going to influence by example. Check it out. Here we go. He's shifting a bit. Now he's going to address the sin. Verse 8. Here's what he says. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. All right? Paul is saying. Here's what Paul's saying. Hey, I've got... I have the authority to tell you what to do. I am an apostle. I have that authority. But check out verse 9. He's not going to do that. Look. Yet for love's sake, I prefer, look at this word, to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Paul says, this is interesting, church. I have the, I have the authority to tell you what to do. But for love's sake, I'm going to do something different. For love's sake, I'm going to handle this differently. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Um, I think there's at least, at least two theological truths that we can pull out of this that we can also use ourselves. And I, I just want to go through this. Um, First, theological truth we see from this verse is love compels Christians to act different. We, we, we act different. We handle things differently. Why? For love's sake. Paul says, for love's sake, for my love of Onesimus, I am going to handle this differently. Because I love you, Philemon, I am going to handle this differently. Because I love the church, I am going to act differently. You see, church, we have been loved supremely, right? By Christ, by our Lord, by our Savior. And because we have been loved supremely, we talk different, right? I talk different because I'm loved by Jesus. I act different because I'm loved by Jesus. I respond to difficult circumstances because I have been loved supremely by Jesus. Because I am loved by Jesus, I turn around and I exercise love when I come in contact with others, even if I have been wronged, even if they are in a position of error. My position is I am coming with love. Church, I would say this. I would say this. We as a people should always err on the side of love and grace. If an error is going to be made, let it be made in me going too far. Meaning, in my love, in my graciousness. Why? Because my Savior did that for me. I'm a partaker of this grace. I'm a partaker of this love. Why would, not I, why would I not be a distributor of it as well? We see that. But the second theological truth that I want to work out is we appeal for, the change, for a change of heart. We appeal for change of heart. It's interesting. But it's true. Check this out. He goes, look, he goes, I, 
man, I thought on this. I prefer to appeal to you is what he says. So here's my question. Here's my question. Here's my question. Why is an appeal superior to a command? I mean, he says it. He goes, he says, I prefer. Why, why, Paul, why, why, why do you prefer to appeal to him instead of command him? It's a good question, I think. The answer is because the end goal, when we come in contact with someone, the end goal is not for any of us to be doing the right thing simply to be doing the right thing. In other words, the end goal is not behavior modification. And that's when you command someone, when you command someone, what are you doing? You want them to change their behavior. You want them to modify their behavior. But we want heart transformation, right? Where you're going for heart transformation, right? We, we, we don't want just, just want this, this behavior modification, and that is why, right? Listen, listen, listen. I know this. I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I'm very well aware of the fact that I can make, I can, I can guilt people. I can guilt people to do a lot of things. I can, I, I, can, I can even call someone up and say, hey, 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 you're a lovely person. I want you to do, stop doing this and start doing this. And they're going to say yes. They're going to say yes. They're going to listen to me. Not everybody does. Someone, someone's going to listen to me. But that's not going to last. I mean, if it's not a heart change, if all they're doing is behavioral modification, if all they're doing is saying the right thing at the right time in front of the right people, you all know that only lasts for a very short time. And that's what Paul is saying. I mean, man, I'm appealing for a heart change. The, 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 an appeal is superior to a command. And that's what he's saying here. He wants this heart transformation. And he goes on. Those are the two theological truths. He's going to work this out some more. Look at verse 10. Check it out. He's going to say it one more time. Verse 10. I appeal to you. This is an appeal, not a command. I'm appealing to you. I want a heart transformation for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Verse 11. I'm going to talk about this briefly. We're going to come back to it because it's important. It's in parentheses in the Bible, but formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to, to you and to me. Um, we're going to jump back on track here in just a minute, but we've got to address verse 11. What's going on here? This, this, would be, this is lost to you and I, I mean, because we don't really see this. Um, but in the Greek, if you saw this, um, there is a word play going on here. Um, it's a theological word play, actually. Um, the, word, the, the name Onesimus means helpful or useful. That's what it literally means. So his name actually means to be useful. That's what his name means. Paul is saying here, and if I can say this correctly, um, um, because when I say it, it may sound kind of harsh, but it wasn't meant to be harsh. But, But what Paul is saying is that before God saved Onesimus, whose name is useful, he was actually useless. But now that God has saved him, he is actually useful. In other words, it's a play on words here. In other words, he is saying because of what Christ has done, he has now actually became useful. He is living up to his name. And that's what he's saying there, all right? He's a totally new. He's not better. Like, 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 like Onesimus isn't better. He didn't turn a new leaf. Onesimus is actually a completely new, regenerated 
man. All right? That's what he says there. Now we're going to get into verse 12. Verse 12 is where you actually see Paul leading or influencing by example. Here he goes. Here we go. This is where it gets, this is where it gets it's all good. This gets really good. Here we go. Verse 12. He's going to put his money where his mouth is. I am sending him back to you. That's Onesimus. Sending back my very heart. Paul saying, I'm really close to this man. I would have been glad to keep him here with me. Paul is saying, my desire, my will is for him to stay with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Verse 14, but, this is very important here. This is where we're seeing this action. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but on your, of your own accord. All right? He's setting an example. Paul is is saying, I am unwilling to do anything that is contrary to the will of God. In other words, Paul is saying, Onesimus, I have a will. You know know what my will is? Paul said, you know what my will is? My will is this. My will is that Onesimus would say with me. That's my will. But Philemon, I want you to see this. That's not God's will. God's will is for, for Onesimus to go back and be reconciled with you. That's God's will. So when my will comes in conflict with God's will, what, is, what does Paul do? What does Paul do? He yields to God. He yields to God. Paul, Paul says, man, I want to do this. I want to keep him. But that's not God's will. So I'm going to give you an example of what you need to do when your will comes in conflict with God's will. Here's what you do. You yield your will. The greater, the lesser always yields to the greater. And that's what he's saying here. No, no, no. Well, let's, just, let's take it to the day. That's what he's saying to you and I. We are to be a people who yield our will to God. Paul is showing us he's yielding his will to God's will. And he's saying, Philemon, you yield to God. Church, he's telling us we need to yield to God. We got, we got, got people, got people, man, I run into people that I love dearly. I love them dearly. And they'll say and claim, I'm a Christian. And, 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 and I believe them, I believe them. Yet they're not yielding to God. No, like, when it comes to sexual purity, I run into guys, man, I'm not going to yield to God. How you, you know when someone says that to me, I, I, like to, I like to, define to me what does it mean to be a Christian. It's in the name. What does it mean? A follower of Christ. You yield to Christ with your money, with your time, with everything. You yield. This flesh... This flesh, this unredeemed flesh, will always come in conflict with the God, will, God, will, God's will. It will. And when it does, you need to know. And Paul's showing us, for God's glory and your greatest joy, you yield. You yield. Um, I do it, man, I'll tell you this. I, I don't know. Um, this may be goofy. This is, you know, I actually talk to myself sometimes. I'm not serious. Maybe you do too. It's good. Because I'll be thinking something I'm not supposed to think, and I'll say, no. i got to tell my flesh, no. I'll say this to myself, too. I'll be walking, thinking something, I'll go, that's not for you. 
I'll say it out loud, not when anyone's around me that I know of, that's not for you. Who am I talking to? I'm talking to my flesh. My flesh will continually and always lead me down a path I ought not go. You know this, and that's what he says. So that's the example. And so now he's going to continue, verse 15, because Paul's doing it. Paul's yielding to God. He's saying, Philemon, you yield to God. Well, so let's yield to God. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more, much more than a bondservant as a, there's this word again, beloved. Oh, he hooks it into the word brother. I love it, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is saying, hey, Philemon, I yielded. I yielded. I yielded my will. And this is what it looks like. I, saw, I sent him back to you. You don't yield begrudgingly. You yield with a, a joyful heart. And so, Paul influenced by example. So, Let's examine ourselves, and I turn to you and I. Do we influence by example? I remember when I was in high school, I had a job. I've talked about this job before. It was um, at um, the, the, the store in my small town. It was called Food Fair. And Food Fair had, I don't know, three or four aisles. And, um, you know, I would sack groceries and, and um, you know, all that stuff. And... Um, some of my buddies, we, we did it. It was fun. Um, we would not be what you call model employees. Um, you know, the mantra was minimum wage and minimum effort. I don't know. Um, maybe, you know, we coined that kind of attitude. And either way, but I remember there's this one guy. He came to work there, and that, that guy didn't make fun of us. He didn't tell us to do anything. You know what that joker did? He worked. And he worked hard. You know what happened when he was working and I was working? I saw his example, and I too started working more diligently, at least while he was there. <laughs> but do we influence by example? Do, do, do we do this? If you are frustrated at work because the people you work with do not work with integrity, the question is are you working with integrity? If you say you value honesty, are you honest? If you go around telling people God is good, do you live your life as though God is good? If you invite someone to church, are you actually attending church? Has, let me ask you this. Don't raise your hand. Have him, has, has anyone ever been, has someone ever invited you to church with them and they don't even go to church? That's a weird deal, man. It is. Some of the, I remember someone asking me, you, this is, you know, back in the day, hey, you want to go to church with me? I'm like, dude, you don't even go to church. And they're like, oh, I go, you know, once a month. Well, why would I go to your church? It's not even good enough for you to go once a month. Why would I want to go? I want to go to church with someone who actually goes to church every week and loves their church. Don't be inviting me to some church you don't go to. Example, oh, by the way, I got a text yesterday. I got a text yesterday. It was a really cool text. Um, a young woman who goes to church here, she texted me, and she said that she was in an Uber. Um, I guess it had been two days ago, or even yesterday, I guess, but she texted me yesterday. She was in an Uber, and she felt, because we've been preaching on inviting people to the church, she invited her, she, she, she asked the Uber driver, 
she, go, he, she goes, do you go to church anywhere? And, and the guy goes, I don't go to church. And then the guy said this, no joke, the guy said this, but someone has invited me to church. And the person, this young woman said, well, what church have you been invited to? And he goes, Silverdale. And then she goes, well, guess what? I'm inviting you there too, right? It's tremendous. And this woman actually goes and she could actually say, come sit with me and give me all the information. But guys, we've got to lead by, you know, um, example. Nobody be listening to nobody if you ain't doing it. Some guy, I, went to, I go down the list. Some guy tell me, read your Bible. I mean, you don't read the Bible. You know, I need a Bible reader to tell me to read the Bible. That's what I need, right? I need someone to invite me to the church who goes to church. Let's move on. Third way. Listen, it's getting a little bit more difficult. We got encouraging. I'm going to influence by encouraging. That's easy. Then you get an influencing by um, example. That's a little bit more difficult. Now the third and final way, Paul's going to influence by instruction. Instruction. You can encourage you can, you, you can influence, but sometimes, some, I mean, sometimes you just got to instruct. Lovingly, you got to instruct. And so now Paul's going to finish by instructing. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. That's clear instructions. He's not commanding him. He's just saying, hey, listen, in case, in case you've missed everything else, right? If, in case you missed the encouragement, in case you missed the example, let me give you the instruction. Here is what you need to do. He does two things. First, he extends grace. Check this out, church. Check this out. This is staggering. Check it out. We, you might have you missed this if you've read this before, but check this out. Verse 18. If he, this is what Paul says, if he, that's Onesimus, has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. Now you read that and you think, sure, whatever, Paul. How how is he going to charge it to your account? Look, verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Okay, here's what's going on. Paul has just written an legal I-O-U. Let me tell you, if you are a Roman citizen, and Paul is... And if you, in your own handwriting, say, I owe you this amount of money, it is now a legal document. Philemon can now take this document, this letter, he can take it to the lawyer, he can take it to the criminal system, he can place it right before them and say, you got a prisoner in Rome. His name is Paul, and he is a Roman citizen, and he just said that he's going to pay the debt that this man owes me, and this man owes me a lot of money or whatever. He has the legal authority. Paul has just submitted to this debt. He just take it on. He legally signs his name and says, I will pay it. Philemon, whatever you got, charge it to me, and he signs his name. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. Paul's saying, hey, charge me. You know why I can, you can charge me? Because I have been forgiven of everything. I don't care. Charge me. Charge me. It's tremendous. So he extends a grace, and then the last thing he does is he believes the best. I love this because I err here sometimes, and I think we have a tendency to not believe the best in others, but not Paul. Look, yes, brothers, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Look at this. 
confident of your obedience. He's confident that Philemon's going to do the right thing. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Even abundantly more than I ask you're going to do it. I know this. Verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm, ho- I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so does Mark, Archicus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Christ be with your spirit. He believes the best. He believes the best. So in this short little letter, we see that Paul has influenced in three ways. He's encouraged, right? He's um, given an example, and then he's instructed. So we have that. It's a beautiful letter. It's a beautiful letter. The question I think that we all have at this point, or will have if you don't already, is what happened? Right? What, what, what happened? What, what, what did Philemon do? I mean, Onesimus is standing right before him. He's read this letter. What happened? Maybe you're there too. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, for years I have been influencing those I work with. For years, I've been trying to influence my family for Christ. For years, I've been trying to influence my friends, but I don't know. Does influence work? Well, the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say. But all is not lost. Um, we have two pieces of information that might be helpful. Um, early church tradition and some early church documents that we have. Um, early church tradition teaches that um, after he read the letter, that Philemon did indeed forgive him. The relationship was reconciled, and he allowed Onesimus to go back to Rome to work with the Apostle Paul. Now, that's tradition. I love tradition. That's a nice traditional story, but there's no way to authenticate it. But there's something else we have that's exceedingly interesting to me, and I want to share this with you. We have um, some early documents from the first, well, about 106 B, uh, AD, right after uh, 106 years, at, well, yeah, 106, somewhere in their first century, first half of the second century. Um, there was this um, man by the name of Ignatius. You can Google him, you can figure, you do all that. About 50 years after the book of Philemon was written, this um, early church father, Ignatius, um, was being set to be martyred. He was going to be killed for his faith. And so um, he was going to be transported from the city he was in to the city of Rome. And in Rome, he was going to be martyred. He was going to be killed, I think it was by lions. Once again, you, listen, I don't, Wikipedia is not the best thing to do, but it's there. You can read the, the outline of all this. So it's historical When Ignatius was on his trip to Rome to be martyred, he wrote some letters. He wrote letters to a lot of the local churches, and and we have those letters. Once again, you can go to Amazon, you can buy the letters, you can read the letters. Um, But one of the letters he wrote, Ignatius wrote on his way to be martyred, was to the church in Ephesus. So he writes this church to Ephesus. It's called the Epistle of Ignatius to the Ephesians, Ephesians, you can read it. Um, it says a lot of things, but it's really interesting. Um, as you're reading this, he's talking, he's saying all these things, Ignatius, and he keeps 
heaping up praise on the pastor of the Ephesians church. The Ephesus church. Um, and Ephesus was one of the major churches. The, the church in Ephesus grew so powerful that it actually stopped the worship of the pagan god Diana in that city. It is one of the first grand historical churches in all of Christianity. Here's the interesting thing. The name of the bishop or the, the pastor of the church in Ephesus is a man named... Onesimus. That's interesting. And you know, okay, that's cool, that's cool. But how do we know that this runaway, thieving, sinning slave became the great bishop of Ephesus? Because it could be any Onesimus. Well, two things. First thing, this may surprise you, but not a lot of people got that name, right? There's not a lot of people named Onesimus. You can do the math. Not a lot. Second thing, Ignatius, as he's writing this letter, you remember verse 11 in Philippians, in, in, in Philemon, where he said he was formerly useless to you and now he's useful for you? Those, that little word pun, Ignatius uses the same word pun, but he applies it to the bishop of Ephesus. And I'm telling you, You would not do that flippantly. You would not take scripture and hurl it at this great man of God unless I think he was indeed this man, Onesimus. And I say, I've seen it before. I've seen God save men who are far away and women and use them for his glory. Church, you're influence matters oh you may not know what's going to happen today but when you're at your work and you're encouraging and you're leading by example and you're encouraging by instruction that's great influence the story's not over the book hasn't been written that woman or that man who causes you so much pain today very well may be saved tomorrow and may very well be a leader and a great proclaimer of the gospel. We don't know. We do know this. We have been called to be salt and light. We are to be influencers. We're going to continue studying influence over the next three weeks. But we begin today. Church, there is great power and influence. Do not abdicate it. Influence. Influence everyone around you for the glory of God, the supremacy of Christ in all things and among all people. Let's influence this city. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They're about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, 
There are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.